Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, it's Bob again, and I've got The Best Possible Enterprise, a comprehensive guide to optimal uh, profits. And when they say comprehensive, they are right. I've been having a wonderful pre-chat with Andrew. And before we get into the show, let's talk a little bit about Eugene, because really, he is... uh, I wouldn't call him the backbone of the book, but definitely the taskmaster as far as uh, quality and accuracy and all those things, or have I got it wrong? No, you got it right on, and thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Eugene Bryan, I call him Gene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Met him just by chance. Uh, One of my clients uh, found out what I was doing with some modeling and some performance improvements for a company, and he says, well, you must know Gene Bryan. I said, well, no, who's Gene Bryan? He says, well, you know, it's Dr. Eugene Bryan. He, you've got to know him. So uh, I went and met him. Uh, it turns out that Gene literally uh, was the founding father of enterprise optimization. Hmm. Uh, he's, a, he's an incredibly uh, gifted man. He's extremely smart. And yeah, when it comes to the book, uh, he's, he's a perfectionist. He's very, uh, very knowledgeable in, in the written language. He's extremely knowledgeable, if not the most knowledgeable person in enterprise optimization. So uh, he he's taught me a lot and it's been a fascinating journey to to uh, do it shoulder to shoulder with uh, Gene. Okay, so first question just to really terrorize you. Um, let us just talk about that th- those terms. How would you define uh, enterprise optimization? You know, the, the probably the best analogy, the quickest way to understand it is if uh, you walk into any company, uh, your own, uh, somebody else's, and you say, you know, it, you could be doing a certain level of profits. You could be doing a certain level of performance. Uh, what what would it be? And and so I I put out a continuum. One being the company's probably going to fail. You're on the way out. You, your your customers are leaving you. Your business is leaving you. Your and then 10 is you're doing absolutely everything the best you can and the profitability of the company is the best it can possibly be. You're utilizing all your assets to their optimal. So that's enterprise optimization. Mm. You know, and, and optimal, you know, I think a lot of times when, when people think about, yeah, we want to drive the company forward and rah, 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 and they're actually at an optimal point or pretty damn close to optimal that's them just not understanding where they stand in, in, in the world of business. Exactly. The, the, the thing that's most compelling for me is I've been working for companies, uh, Fortune 500 all the way to Moz and Paws for the last 17, 18 years. And one of the things that, that has always driven me is, is how can I be sure that when I'm helping them with a strategic plan or capital planning or buying a new business, that they're, that they're really getting the most out of it. They're really setting their goals on something that, number one, is realistic, and number two is the best that they could possibly do with that. Hmm. Uh, so the whole concept is I, I've, I've yet to run into a CEO who, when I asked him the question, where do you think you're at on the enterprise optimization continuum or however you want to refer to it, uh, I've yet to have one say I'm a 10. We all recognize that we're not achieving our optimal, but if we don't have a, any method of specifically defining that optimal, uh, we're we're kind of just reaching and reaching out and and wishful thinking towards maybe we can be better better than last or better than last year or or good enough that the board or the owners are satisfied with the return on their investment. Mm. So how does a company 
analyze themselves to figure out where they are on this scale from one to 10? The, you know, there's a, a, an immediate situation analysis. So in the book, we talk about uh, a subjective analysis where you look at how you compare within your industry with, uh, with, with against the competition, uh, what your customers are saying about you. There's, there's a subjective way to take a look at yourself. And that's where we start a lot of times when we're talking about working with a company. Uh, but then ultimately, uh, the systems that we create use activity-based costing and linear modeling to determine exactly within the real constraints that you have. So these are, these are not uh, greenfield analyses. We talk to your salespeople, we look at your contracts, we, we look at your pro- the production processes, the pricing approaches that you take, and you, you put this model together. And what it'll essentially say is there's a, a profit gap, we call it. Here's the profitability that you expect and that you're achieving today, and here's the profitability within all of your constraints that you could actually be achieving. We call that the profit gap. Mm. So what's the difference between what you're doing and forecasting? Forecasting generally uh, is a, uh, can we do better? Can we, um, can we achieve better than we have based on, a lot of times it's cost management. Mm. Can we reduce costs? Can, uh, we hear people talk a lot, I always have, uh, back when I was a uh, director of manufacturing for a steel company, uh, they talked about a thing called compression. Mm-hmm. Uh, compression essentially says that after you've paid for your overhead, then all the the revenue you make after that has a larger uh, profitability component. Uh, that's misleading. So we hear people talk about uh, revenue and volume keeps the doors open. Um, the truth is really when you're forecasting, you should be forecasting at something that's really possible and you should be able to do it quickly with uh, within the things that you can't control. So let's take uh, commodity prices, if you're using commodities to build a product. Uh, you should be able to quickly forecast what you're capable of within the realm of a high and a low commodity uh, pricing mm-hmm. so, that, so that you can really understand where you're at. The, the point of forecasting isn't saying I'm gonna make exactly $75 million next year. It's really trying to determine if these different uh, uncontrollable factors change do we have a response to those, which will be different. If, if the costs go down, uh, you're going to make different decisions for optimal profitability than you are if the costs go up. Mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about optimization, you're really optimizing your forecast and optimizing your capital expenditure and optimizing your strategic plans. Hmm. So if you're... Uh, actually, it's very interesting because you know, I was just talking with somebody earlier today about... Um, making companies uh, more profitable, but in a totally different way. And you're saying now that by optimizing and uh, basically understanding where you are in this scale, you, you have a, it gives you a much better idea of how far you can move forward and how fast you can move forward and the steps to take to get there. Well, that, and that's, you're, you're right on. And then the point being that if you look at your procurement folks, those people who are out trying to make the best deals in raw materials or whatever it might be, uh, transportation, all those, all these things that you pay for have to be aligned absolutely with your production Mm -hmm. and even more importantly with your sales. When what normally happens when people are out trying to improve their profitability, they start with a cost-based approach. So they look at the Six Sigma and the lean manufacturing, both extremely valuable tools. But if you talk to the purveyors of those, of those tools, 
the the place that they should start is unknown to them. There's no process within that to say, look, if you improve this constraint, if you eliminated that constraint or made this process more efficient, you would make X amount, so let's say 10% more profit. That's what an optimization system does. Mm. So all these other other uh, activities and other processes that have been used are extremely valuable. Yet if you truly have an optimization system, you know exactly what your primary constraints are and exactly what profit you could increase, how much profit you could increase uh, if you were to overcome that specific constraint. Mm. So it's kind of like the, the concept of uh, Six Sigma is an absolutely great concept that we should all be have a, uh, more quality first time through all those kind of great things. However, we could go out there and spend a lot of energy and a lot of money on improving a particular process that was not a constraint, and we may get a small bump in profit while we had another constraint that may have not required quite as much effort, but we didn't realize how much more profit we could make if we all worked together with on that project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like going to clients and saying, look, you're going to spend a ton of marketing money. Don't spend a ton of marketing money on your deadbeat products to try and bring them up to your superstar products. Get the marketing spent on your superstar products so you can be more profitable. And then once you get stuff more back in the in the black and you're doing better, then you can experiment with new products to see which ones uh, you have potential of selling more. Well, and, and well stated, the, the, the reality we have is when we go in and we first build a preliminary model, we call it an opportunity analysis. So we'll go in and build a quick preliminary model. What we inevitably find is that the, the clients have products that they had no idea how profitable they really are. And they have other products that are actually costing them profits. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's always met with some, with some cynicism, rightfully so, because using the old standard costing rules... Uh, if I assume everything uh, costs me a dollar to make and I sell anything for a dollar ten, theoretically I'm making ten cents on it. But we all know the truth is that other products take a, a more cost, require more follow up, are harder to sell with a customer. And once you once you map that out, you realize that the cut that certain products you're selling for a dollar ten are costing you twenty twenty cents to give to the customer. Yeah, exactly. It's. Uh Actually, that, that it goes almost down to the fundamentals of business. You've got to know what your profit and loss is. Everybody in the organization has to know what your P&L is. It's right. and, not and, just a C-suite concept. No, and the fallacy has been that if we used the old-fashioned accounting-based uh, numbers, which are standard costing, which have been around for 150 years, they were generated in Britain, the, the, the truth is those were intended to be uh, rough guides to better decision making. Mm. But we, because of the importance of accounting in, and especially in a regulated, regulated environment, we as leaders have defaulted to them as the right numbers. And for their purpose, they're exactly the right numbers. For profitability, decision making and optimization, they are the wrong numbers. Not, not just bad numbers, they actually mislead uh, leaders towards products that are costing them money and not necessarily towards the most profitable mix that they could possibly be producing. Mm. Well, it's almost like a, a looking at the situation on a more of a strategical way. If we are about to grow in this direction within this industry, what is the best uh, angle of attack? Should we be buying out the competition? Should we, doing, should we be growing towards that? What should we be doing? And then actually implementing and testing, implementing, testing, implementing, testing on the way. 
Well, and that's the, that's exactly right. The key to a good optimization system is without risking anything, zero risk, you get to test those scenarios in the model. So you allow the model to have a new facility to to uh, manufacture, let's say. You give it the best information you've got on, let's say it's a competitor's facility, and let it solve where, where if the model is allowed to do what it wants within the constraints you give it, what would it choose is the most profitable approach. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when we walk into a company that's been in business for 60 years, it's got 40 facilities across the country. And I ask, what was the, what was the strategy that you had putting all these facilities across the country? And they'll say, well, it's because we wanted to be close to our, to our customers. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, when was the last time you tested that strategic decision <laughs> for profitability? Uh, no, that's just kind of something we did 60 years ago. Yeah. And, and there, you can understand how, why would I, if I don't have a tool that can efficiently analyze that and accurately analyze that, if I'm just using standard costing, why would I even make the effort to go out and try to test that decision? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it, I think what was happening 60 years ago and what happens today is so incredibly different because everybody's nimble. Even if you are a large, lumbering, massive organization, you are trying to be as nimble as possible because the market is shifting and changing and evolving so rapidly because there's um, customer education, there's customer customer communication uh, within their communities and also now the global uh, um, outreach that they have through social media and the ease that they can do it compared to what it was back uh, in the day. And, and I'm going to basically talk about the car industry. When you were, 30 years ago, when you went into a dealership, you knew nothing. And the <laughs> sales guy could bamboozle the heck out of you. <laughs> yep. Now when you go into a dealership, you know more than the sales guy and you're so well equipped that it's amazing they're not giving you the cars. Right. And, and, you know, the analogy here for business, uh, when you have a profit optimization system and you're leading with it, I, I don't want this to sound like a pure technology play. Mm-hmm. If you read the book, it's about two thirds leadership and one third better tools. Mm-hmm. The better tool is a GPS for profits. So take that, say, take that same analogy for cars is back in the old days when we, you know, had to, had to have maps and, and try to drive around and talk, call AAA before vacation so we could figure out where to stay in motels and those kinds of things. Now all the cars are loaded with a GPS mm-hmm. that you simply ask it, you know, where, closest gas station close. It's the same thing that a optimization system allows. And you, you talk about um, being agile. Well, the, the system is has all your costs and all your true um, pricing and production capabilities in it. When anything happens, uh, what, what we're able to do is quickly, let's say you lose a customer, you lose a transformer on a major facility, uh, trucking becomes a, uh, transportation becomes a major issue. Real quickly, you can look at your entire shipment base and say, well, if trucks are a problem, can I go by rail and quickly identify what the profitability uh, improvement would be if you were able to change that mix and mm-hmm. and ask customers to take it by rail rather than uh, receive trucks. Hmm. Uh, so that so the agility uh, with the system is like having a GPS. Anytime you're blown off course a little bit, w- immediately, not in a week or a month or at your next strategic planning session, immediately your whole team can get together, run a scenario, and in minutes you see here's here's the best possible scenario under these new conditions. Hmm. 
Now, I want to ask you a question about size of company because, you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is, is pretty um, high-end stuff for companies that are heavily invested in analytics and, and, and that. Is this theory applicable to small business and medium-sized business? Yeah, we, uh, the, the number we look at to make it uh, really simple for a leader mm-hmm. is if it's over a $50 million business, which in my book is a small business, mm-hmm. Uh, if it's over $50 million and they have flexibility in their pricing and products, in other words, they don't serve just one customer mm-hmm. at one given price or one contracted price, um, then it's, it's immediately applicable. Um, we, we, it, 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 it's actually easier to work with the companies around a billion dollars simply because they tend not to already have a whole group of people who have invested their time and self-worth in trying to build these systems out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to clarify a little bit that there really doesn't take a big investment in analytics for us to help them with the, an enterprise optimization system. But the truth is every company that's has been successful for more than a few years is doing exactly what our system will do. So they already are getting together with whatever information they have and trying to determine uh, what the best profitability approach is. Um, and the truth is that they just haven't used the information such as production, real production numbers uh, effectively. So mm. here's another uh, kind of a key to the agility is when your market starts to move in a different direction, it may not necessarily be a good direction for you. And the only you have your own unique proprietary information about what you do best. And so for you to follow the market is, is, it's, it's pretty standard practice, but it's also fraught with danger that the other companies may have different facilities, different opportunities, and we have our own. So the most important thing is not what the company, what the market is doing and what others are doing. It's what can I do best at my company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of times I've given advice to, to clients uh, about, you know, marketing and, and moving things forward. And I say, look at, they'll say, oh, this is great, Bob, but won't our competition copy us? And I said, look, if your competition copies us, that's the best thing that you can have happen yep. because you're rolling out something that we've got planned, we have strategies, we've got markers, we know exactly where we're going. And if we start to steal um, clients away from your comp- the, the, the people in competition with you and they react by copying you, they're just doing a knee-jerk reaction. They have no planning. It's going to cost them cash flow and it will weaken their companies. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the key to all of uh, enterprise optimization and being your best possible. Again, goes back to what's your best possible, mm-hmm. not the not the 800 pound gorilla in the market. Uh, I've, I've run into a lot of uh, clients. And one of the things that anyone who reads the book will pick up is being on the offensive as a leader, not mm-hmm. as, on the defensive. And it's probably one of the greatest things Gene shared with me. It, it solidified so many thoughts. I've been I've sat with so many leaders who've who felt the right way to lead is to protect their current profits or to yeah. protect their stance in the market uh, and not go out there and take any risks. Well, the, the, I agree with don't take the risks. Recognize what you're good at and pursue your opportunity. That's not taking a risk. It's taking a risk if you're blindly going forward into something that that other people are doing or that you think is going to create a response from your from your competition. It's not a risk if you know that that's the most profitable thing you could be doing within all of your resources. Mm. Well, and, and you know, to for people that are having a hard time grasping, because this is big stuff, this is like good to great, this book. Um, 
Well, thank you. That, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's the same level. Uh, the If we, we simplify it down to a, a solopreneur, one entrepreneur doing, he knows there's two types. There's there's a solopreneur that looks at what somebody else is doing and say, oh, I should do that because he looks more profitable and then stops doing what he's fundamentally great at, let's say carpentry. And mm-hmm. then he starts to do uh, renovations in carpentry because it's, he thinks the renovation industry is bigger. And then two things will happen. He'll become successful yet miserable because he's not doing what he likes to do and wonders why he gets there five years later. Mm-hmm. Or he crashes and burns because he's a ter- terrible renovator because his skill set doesn't support that industry. If he just kept on being a great carpenter, he would have grown with the overall industry and he would have been able to dominate because if he is single-mindedly focused towards this is what I'm great at, this is what I'm bringing into the market, this is what I'm educating my clients about and letting everybody know this is what, what I do, and then forget everything else, opportunities will become obvious to you because you aren't wasting your time thinking. It's like squirrel, oh, over there, and oh, there's another squirrel. It's like, no, it's like this is the direction I'm going. So I want to ask you, for a large organization, that's a very tough thing to do because with a large organization, they have the ability to do so much more and they have the staff and the momentum to do so much more. Is that a trap? It is. Uh, the When you work for a large organization, anyone who's uh, ever been a part of a strategic planning session uh, will recognize that the sessions are, are really not objective. We aren't coming in and we're not looking at a common integrated plan across sales, production, and procurement. Uh, what happens, what we what I call chest thumping, is we've got extremely ambitious, extremely good leaders in all of those areas. So the sales individuals come in and say, you know, this is really where we need to take sales. We need to take it out into this new market and we need to move in this direction or that direction. Uh, of course, production's back there saying, wait a second, you know, here, here's what we do best in production. And this is what we have to focus on because we can eliminate our costs. And then you've got the procurement folks over there saying, you know, here are all my challenges. So what happens is you get into uh, more of a, a, a philosophical discussion mm. based on egos and 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 what makes their operation to work best. So the the key and the opportunity for these companies is when when you put in an optimization system, there's no argument. We've used the constraints and the opportunities associated with the sales leaders. They've given that to us. It's in the system. We've got the production actual constraints and limitations and opportunities and production rates. And then we've got the true uh, costs associated with procurement. So when you walk into those meetings, if you want to try to go off in a different direction, you simply model it. Everyone agrees that the model has the right information in it. It produces the, the optimal results. Uh, so we go away from the chest beating. And now it becomes rather than can I get my plan established, it's can I accomplish and execute the plan that we all just agreed on? Mm-hmm. And that that common agreement between a team is the most elusive thing I've seen in all my years of working with companies. Hmm. Uh, you, you see people nod. We get the, yes, we're all going that direction. But if you truly follow up over the next month, quarter, whatever it might be, each leader tends to believe they know a little bit better how to run the business than the deal we just made or the agreement we made on the plan. And they start to deviate ever so slightly. Mm. And we all know what happens when when we start to deviate. We're surprising production. We're surprising procurement. We're surprising sales. Sales is surprising everybody. And, and what we do is we start losing profits in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you've used uh, modeling a lot. 
And I wanted to ask you, with the advancement with uh, computers and, and number crunching capabilities, is and big and the amazing amount of data that that's available to companies, um, is modeling more accurate and uh, a quicker process than it was three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Oh, much much faster, uh, much easier. That's part of part of what's happening. I've I've been dabbling uh, with my background in mechanical engineering, where I studied modeling of complex systems. When I came out in the world and went to uh, some big companies, Fortune Five, I worked at Frito Lay. I worked at some big steel companies. Mm. I was always it was always going through the back of my head that boy, you know, why can't we use these models? Why aren't they using these models? Uh, and what I realized was uh, with the availability of data. And the availability of incredibly fast processing time for nothing. Mm-hmm. It used to be measured in in hundreds of dollars per hour that you had to pay for for the for the actual computing time. Mm-hmm. And now we're down to they, it's measured in pennies. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. So what Gene Bryan did for forty years with his company, uh, which was called Decision Dynamics. Uh, you know, it, it's completely changed the game. We can get you really when you say earlier, you said invest in um, analytics and things. Everyone has it already. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I could walk into a company, even if they don't think even if they think they're way behind the times and are doing things on spreadsheets. They they do have the, the prices the customers paid. They've got the amounts the customers bought. They have the actual rates that they've put these products together at. And so the real real costs, um, the information is sitting there. And, and in a lot of cases, they've invested a lot of money in ERPs and MRPs and uh, all sorts of other, other data so- sources, but they're still data sources. Mm. And, and everyone thought that was a panacea years ago when we all started with ERPs. The truth is, if you don't use that information to your personal best advantage, then we're, we're, not, t- we're, we're not getting the full advantage of those systems. So Enterprise optimization really takes all of that data, which is already there. It's easy to get, and it's extremely fast to solve. Puts that together in a model that the leadership team then uses to to constantly check their status and where they could be doing better. Hmm. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's fascinating because when you look at what you're able to um, track and analyze and model. And with the accuracy, it's almost uh, like you get to see what's going to happen before it uh, it actually happens. I mean, I remember way back in the day with uh, photography, uh, we had to pull Polaroids to see if the lighting worked. <laughs> yeah. And, and these days, it goes to a computer and you can actually retouch it. So, I mean, it is phenomenal. And I, for me, the aha moment uh, back in those days is when somebody – first used a Polaroid and showed me, I said, oh my God, this this revolutionizes my decision-making on the lighting and the lens. We can Mm -hmm. see exactly what's going to happen before we put the expensive film in. And that's kind of what you're saying is you can predict, you can model, you can see what's going to happen or have a very high accuracy of what's going to happen in the future uh, in your industry and move accordingly. And and really, uh, for the first time, know what is best. If I'm if I'm sailing a boat from the West Coast to to Hawaii, um, you know I've done that for years, and I'm really good. And people recognize me as the greatest sailor uh, out there, and I, and people want to go with me on my boat. Mm. Uh, but maybe I was using a sextant and my books. I love that, mm-hmm. and you know that's part of my pride is that I pull that off. Well, now what we what we're asking uh, the you know senior leaders to do is say, well, you know, there's a better way. 
Uh, it's it's we we can give you a GPS. You'll get there quicker. Um, what you really want to be doing is working on how do we execute, not how do we plan. So a lot of leaders have had their self worth tied up in I make the tough decisions. I lead us to uh, places that scare the other folks. It's I take risks. So the the interesting thing for me is a lot of great leaders have been extremely risk uh, tolerant. They've actually liked the risk, mm. and and would rather not check that lighting before in the in the simplest way. Um, this is it's a it's a change in leadership style. It, it needs to be a change to motivating people with how well they can do and trying to achieve that. And uh, doing it objectively rather than chest thumping and and taking risks that may or may not pay off. Mm-hmm. I want to delve into the book a little bit and uh, the use of of the part one where you say uh, the nature of profit and then the nature mm-hmm. of capitalism, the nature of best possible. Um, really, this whole front section is almost like a primer in this is like. Um, university degree in, in in X amount of pages, how many, but 86 pages. Here's a three-year university degree in what economics are and, and what you should know and, and basically zeroing out the person before we get into some really interesting stuff in part two and part three. Should people, when reading the book, do you think there is value in them reading Part one, and I know that's a very unfair question because, of course, for you, it's like, God <laughs> damn it, Bob, yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, you know, some people, they don't have a lot of time. They want to delve into the book. Is it dangerous for them to say, ah, I know that stuff, and not really understand it in a fundamental way and understand the meaning of the words so when they do get into part two and part three, they're misleading themselves with preconceptions? Yeah, we, we thought about that a lot as we tried to lay out the book and, and put it in a format that's going to be most useful because really what we what we believe is that uh, we can spread best possible to everyone, everyone in the industry. It's going to benefit everyone. Uh, it's not a zero-sum game. Mm. Uh, so when we, when we looked at this, we said that, first of all, we tried to keep it apolitical mm-hmm. um, because there's so much interference in business right now through politics oh, yeah. um, that we, we took whole chapters out. Because we looked at it and said, look, the world's going to change. A lot of things will change. We want this to book to be, to, to be sustainable. We want it to, to use only information that we believe is apolitical. So when we wrote the, the front uh, section, which is really foundational, we said two things. I think it's actually a kind of an efficiency improvement. If a leader reads the first four chapters, the first 86 pages, and has any dispute whatsoever with what's in that section, um, they don't need to finish reading the book. Mm. (laughs) They're they're not going to benefit. They, they're they're They believe in something that's unnatural Mm -hmm. and, and is current. Maybe that's what's going on in the world today. But uh, we, we went back and we looked at all of enterprise uh, over time. Mm -hmm. And this is where Gene's genius comes in. He's been studying this for so long. So yeah, there, there's a risk on, uh, on our on the book's behalf that we won't achieve our goal of helping people achieve their best possible if they see the front end as uh, too matter of fact. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, those are exactly the people that will benefit the most from the book if they finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of ironic. 
And, and we struggled with it, literally. I, I you know, the last thing, I, I'm a very um, A-type person. I like to get stuff done. I don't like to waste time for anybody's time. And so we struggled with it, but then we, we realized that it's a good litmus test for anyone to please put my book away if you don't believe in any of that or any part of it. Mm -hmm. And if you do believe in it, it's not going to take you long to get through those 86 pages. Mm -hmm. This shouldn't. And, and then you're going to get right into the science, art and science of what is optimization, which is really a, a, a sorely misunderstood um, field. And then uh, finally, okay, what are the five steps to accomplishing becoming your best possible, which, which ultimately you talked about the small entrepreneur making the decision to become best possible changes the way you make uh, the way you do business. Mm. Why, why do you say it's misunderstood? You know, the art and science of, of best possible. Why, why don't people get it? The, the biggest struggle is that uh, linear modeling, uh, which really was developed in World War II to try to, to fight the war on multiple fronts. So you can just imagine the logistical issues of trying to, to uh, bring troops over, bring all of the ammunitions, uh, all of, uh, bring back the wounded, um, all of this while trying to inflict the most, ca the most uh, casualties on the other side, it's extremely complex process. And we didn't have the tools. Uh, we were just getting into computers at the time. Uh, so it was literally a, a secret project to try to, de to uh, develop a computer system to do this. So it's been around. So there's most people who've been through business school or engineering or uh, the like have heard of this thing called linear modeling. Well, so the, the catch 22 is we know it did good work. We know it can do the job, but we don't use it. And if it was as good as you think it is, everyone would be using it. Mm. So, so, so you're fighting the, the preconception that it's not really a current technology. Well, the things that have changed is the ability to, uh, again, we talked about this earlier, the, to do the uh, actual data crunching, to find the data that's existent. And now we've got what, you know, we build commercial software that you, the users don't have to understand how to build a linear model. Linear modeling is an art and a science. And if you do it incorrectly, uh, it becomes uh, un unwieldy and ineffective. You can't keep the data up. Mm. If you do it well, which we are capable of doing now, uh, it's, it, it really just supports the decisions. The, the people involved in decision making don't have to understand how to read a, a strange output on green and white paper that they have to interpret. Mm -hmm. Now we literally say, here's the profit that you'll make if you eliminate uh, this this constraint. Let's say it's uh, we we can we only have three shifts of work of workers in our processing plant. Well, if you eliminate that constraint, here's the profitability and here's the cost. So if you just allow it to have a fourth shift, it'll show you exactly what the profitability was. And it'll even choose whether or not you should have a fourth shift. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, you, when you were talking about the, the war, uh, it reminds me of Buck, Buckminster Fuller. He did that. That's what one of his jobs was before he be, uh, got iconized as this incredibly intelligent man. And uh, he was in charge of logistics. Mm -hmm. And he was involved in some of those projects. So it's, it's a small world. Well, that's really part of the reason for writing the book was I, it's, I know that I can offer uh, significant opportunities to the majority of businesses out there and entrepreneurs and, and enterprise owners, if you will. Uh, and and it, it, I, I was struggling with how can they understand the whole picture? Mm 
Mm. This isn't a soundbite type of a product. It's not, uh, it's not a, a Six Sigma. It makes sense to everybody. Lean manufacturing should make sense to everybody. Um, it's a simple concept that talks more to cost. This is a complex c- concept that changes the way you lead. Mm. So it, it touches things near and dear to your heart. Hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you, you've done a tremendous amount of, of uh, research and, and uh, you've got a great background. When you were bringing the book together, when you were bringing all these thoughts on putting them on paper, for you, what was the aha moment where, where it was a, something you already realized was a, a reality, but it really suddenly became, this is it. Oh, now I get it. For you, what was that? You know, the, the, it was so many of them, uh, because bottom line was Gene had been at this for so long mm. that, and I was struggling with, with all sorts of, uh, concepts that I was trying to bring to my, to my clients and try to help them be more successful. Um, you know, one of the, one of the best for me was really this whole concept of being, uh, on, on the, uh, offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you do that if you're, don't have the information to tell you how good you could be? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that, that was big. The, another one was the symbiotic profits. We have five layers of symbiotic profits. It frustrates me to, to no end when I go into a big company and they're, they're just beating the heck out of their suppliers. Uh, you know, that's not right. And now that's not right. I'm not saying that's not right from an emotional standpoint or a political standpoint. Uh, I know inherently that healthy suppliers make a healthy company. Mm-hmm. So if I treat my customers well and I understand, excuse me, my suppliers well, um, I'm going to be healthier. Um, and so uh, the same the same when I see politicians punishing the owners or the more profitable companies, um, you know, these things are counter are counterproductive to what we call the five layers of symbiotic profits, where you where you recognize that a healthy economy requires uh, the owners, the employees the suppliers and the customers and the communities to be successful from those businesses. Uh, and for me, that was just such a, it was so great to be able to talk about that coherently and clearly um, having recognized it inherently all these years, but not had really a, a good method to explain, uh, you know, guys beating up on your suppliers or, or, or politicians beating up on companies it's not just in a political aversion or a, or or a personal aversion. It's ineffective for the for the economy. Mm. Well, it, it's it's almost like the profitability of ethics. Yes, uh, if you I mean if, if you and that's what we you know we struggle with this is both Gene and I want to bring best possible to to as many uh, honorable and and uh, you know appropriate business enterprises as we can. Mm. And, and you look at this and you say, are we, are we, you know, that this isn't really an ethical play. It's uh, an, a, an actual play, a natural play. If we understand the nature of business, we'll all be more successful. Again, it's not a zero sum. We can all be more successful. Mm, yeah. There's, there's always, always room for uh, improvement. What I find fascinating, you know, after going through the book is it is a simple solution. I mean, it, it's... All the pieces are in place. 
all the skill sets are in place, it's almost like a perfect storm. And all you got to realize is like, guys, instead of rowing against this damn storm, why don't we jump on our surfboard and really utilize this wave of knowledge, um, technology, and the ability to understand there is a formula because really what this book is is saying, this is how you do it, step one, step two, this, step three, and work through it and uh, start small. But as you start to trust and understand it, start rolling it in more and more and more. Yeah, and and what what's really fun is when we go to do implementations, and you see the second level of leadership, and they get intimately involved because truth is they know the numbers and they know what's really going on better. And we 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 you know we model to actual, not to hypothetical. Mm-hmm. So we go in and we find out what's really going on. When we get in there, almost to uh, to a company and to a client, those people are tend to be a little downtrodden, if you will, sure. uh, a little a little disappointed that. <laughs> You know, here's another project we're going into and we, you know, they, they have, what's the right word, been a little skeptical of the senior leaders directions in the past. Mm. And, and part of that is, is for a natural reason is if, if I'm the senior leader and I'm trying to make uh, decisions based on my own uh, knowledge and based on what I want the company to do, not necessarily what I know the company can do, mm. uh, I've been making decisions over the years that the people at that next level who really know what's going on, they're skeptical of it. They, they know it's not something that's to their, in their best interest necessarily. They know that it, it has been fraught with you know, challenges. And so now uh, we, we start modeling. And these people who've been downtrodden, this is, this is where I was heading, the most exciting part of it is when they get enthused. They look at this when we first start running, running uh, the model and showing what you know, actual costs of products are and actual uh, profitability by product and by customer are, they don't want to leave that page. We, we, literally, that's just a part of our process. And once we get to that point, we, they, they get so excited that now they really know. It's not a guess whether or not that customer was uh, profitable for us. We know the profitability of that customer. Mm. And it, it's not a guess that that product is less profitable, uh, has a slower, um, a, a lower profit per uh, hour rate, if you will, profit rate. Mm. Uh, so they start to see this information. And and now they recognize that if they do a good job in helping us put the, the system together, now that the, the game has changed, now we're going to have leaders who will truly be pursuing best possible. And we will all agree on it because it's our information. We're using good information in a good system that'll produce great results. Uh, and, and leadership, you know, who was ho- so hesitant to share the, the decision-making process to a complete level because some of it was subjective. It's kind of, you know, rank has its privileges. Uh, you know, that's what they pay me the big bucks for. When you hear, start hearing those statements in companies, you know, there's some guesswork involved and, and you know, without the tools, I'm not criticizing that. That's what had to happen, but it's also demoralizing to the to the staff and the and the company when you know our goal was 100 million dollars in profit this year and we made 90. So our bonuses were, you know, 50% of what they could have been. Mm-hmm. Well, why was that? Well, you know, again, we weren't all pulling in a direction that we were sure was going to reach 100 million dollars. We hoped to rally everyone and try to get to 100 million dollars. Mm. But Hope is not a strategy. No, it's not. Well, and it also, you know, you talk about the the psychology and the emotional uh, 
assets of a company. And if you don't know where you're going and you're constantly trying your hardest and nothing seems to be working and you're constantly being asked to do new things halfway through doing something else you were asked, <laughs> after a while it's like, what the heck am I spending my life doing this for? You know, no, why am and I that, here? Now- and put yourself now in the, uh, normally it's an accounting group's role mm. of putting together these standard costing and, and show me what's going to happen if we, uh, if we increase our sales in a specialty product or if we take this contract at a lower rate. Uh, and these, you know, these poor people who are trained in classical accounting, which is extremely important to the company, mm. are now out there trying to do modeling with spreadsheets. Mm. And spreadsheets are, are literally and technically incapable of trying to solve those uh, those uh, questions or to resolve those questions and and yet they get sent back and and inevitably some leader looks at their analysis and says well you didn't change this number you didn't consider the effect of this there you know all companies are are interrelated so the the process of linear modeling ensures that it's looked at the millions of different perturbations and different combinations of what could happen that within the flexibility of the company. Mm-hmm. Whereas a what-if analysis that these poor people are sent back for over and over again, take them months or weeks at least, uh, and all this analysis. I've watched people lock themselves in a room for seven days hmm. just because management said, I've got to have this information. Hmm. They know the information is fraught with uh, with inaccuracies, they know that it isn't solving for them. They're simply using it as the tool they're trying to calculate the what if for. Mm-hmm. And what, what the optimization system allows is no more of that. All you have to do is give us your true numbers. What did you really sell for how much money, how many people really worked on the line and in that area and how much scrap did you have? All the real numbers put into the system and then allow it the flexibility to find the best possible a, a oppor- opportunity for you, not go fill in the numbers and tell us what we should tell say is in the forecast. And when you get into public companies, it gets even more difficult because of the nature of being a public company now. Mm-hmm. How accurate is your forecast? Well, mm-hmm. wow. So now I'm stuck between saying that I think we can do really well, which I believe, and saying and, and missing my forecast significantly. Now what do I do? So mm-hmm. senior leaders have another uh, very uh, tenuous uh, um, decision to make is what, if I don't know for sure and act- accurately what I can accomplish, then how how optimistic can I be? What about the concept of garbage in, garbage out? How you know you're asking? We need the real numbers for this to be super accurate. How do how do people actually get those real numbers? Well, this uh, garbage in, garbage out is actually a, a great subject when you talk about linear modeling. Mm. The the truth is, when you look at a linear model, if you give me decent assumptions, and and we put the decent assumptions in, and decent meaning, hey, I've been doing this for ten years, we've never produced more than um, two hundred tons of this material when we run it, be uh, an hour or a day or over a period. Uh, when you put good information in and reasonable uh, estimates into a a linear modeling system, it shows you exactly what your constraints are. It'll show you what your best possible. So uh, in a garbage in, garbage out way, if you're working with spreadsheets, you're going to get big deviations that are going to be inaccurate. If you're working with a linear model, linear models by nature take take uh, can create good information and good directional leadership. In other words, it's not going to say sell uh, 21 uh, chocolate chip cookies and 20 sugar cookies. It's going to say tw- your sugar cookies are more profitable if you move in that direction immediately 
you're going to make more profit. And here's an example of how much it could be. Then over time, as you improve the accuracy of your data, which doesn't have to be real quick, again, most companies are heading in a direction that isn't close to optimal. So we're heading north when we should be heading northeast. And so just knowing that Northeast is more profitable immediately shifts your resources in the right direction. So you start to move forward. And, and really, there is never an end to best possible because as you get better at executing the now best possible plans, you start to recognize other constraints that you can overcome that you never realized existed. So best possible continues to move forward. It's not, a, it's not a single goal for the life of the, of the system. It's a goal for this month, this quarter, next quarter, next year. And as you move forward with best possible, you're working on skills that are, are, are around the execution rather than skills around how do we analyze it mm-hmm. and, and how do we have better strategic planning meetings. Uh, now the meetings are set for themselves. If, if I walk into a meeting and I say, well, he, under all the constraints, and everyone agrees, every manager in this room agrees that those are the constraints were put in, here's the best possible plan for next quarter, it changes the dynamics of that meeting significantly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How do people find out more? Do you guys have a blog? Uh, yeah, we blog. Um, we've, uh, we've got the uh, bestpossible.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to, go to that website, and we have a blog on there. Um, we, the, the book, obviously, um, and uh, we also have a Profit Hawk uh, website. So in the book, we tried to, to minimize the um, selling, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, associated with our software. Um, but that's really the core to our businesses. Uh, we need to provide the best tools we can for our customers who want to become best possible or anyone who wants to become best possible. So um, you're certainly welcome to go to ProfitHawk.com. BestPossible.com are the two places that... Uh, are interesting. If you want to look at uh, some of the work I've done in the past, it's uh, Profit Hawk, or excuse me, uh, Pilot Advisors mm. was the company I formed about 17 years ago. Um, so those are three three sources. Hmm, nice. We've been uh, talking about the best possible enterprise, a comprehensive guide to optimal profits. And like I said at the beginning of the show, comprehensive with bold letters, I would say. Uh, an awesome book. Thank you very much, Andrew, for coming on the show. Bob, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show. And do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.